Today, we'll talk more about this Florida Gators coaching staff and the hires made this week, the men's basketball game from Wednesday between the Florida Gators and Mississippi State Bulldogs. And we'll wrap up by taking a quick look at which Florida Gators might take the next step in the NFL next season, only here on Locked On Gators. You are Locked On Gators, your daily podcast on the Florida Gators. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Locked On Gators, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thanks for making Locked On Gators your first listen of the day. We are available daily and free wherever you listen to the podcast. Also, be sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel. We have a lot of fun there and we're going to start doing more content. It's going to be a blast. Happy Friday. I am Brandon Olson. You can find me on Twitter at WNS underscore Brandon. I'm also the founder of Whole9Sports.com. We find all my written work. So be sure to check that out. But we're going to take a look at these Florida Gators coaching staff, the hires that were made this week. We're going to take a look at three coaches or three hires that were made this week. Uh, the first one is going to be k- kind of quick because it's going to be Sean Spencer. And as you guys know, I believe it was Monday's episode. We already went pretty in-depth on Sean Spencer, Coach Chaos. Um, he has been named the co-defensive coordinator and the defensive line coach. He was also the defensive line coach with the New York Giants for the past two seasons in which the defensive line did make strides. I know I pointed out taking a look at big cat Leo Williams, who with the Jets was kind of a bust and wasn't really getting much pass rush. And then over the past two years, he's had 21 sacks with the New York Giants under Sean Spencer. So there's that. And I mean, the proof is going to put in there when you look at it. And Dexter Lawrence, who's more of a nose tackle than anything else, had developed very nicely under Sean Spencer. So I'm excited for him. Like Javon Dexter is going to benefit massively from this. Desmond Watson is going to become possibly a, an elite nose tackle in, really in college football if, uh, if things work out well with Sean Spencer. He's also known to be a tremendous recruiter. Now, Penn State players, uh, Antonio Valentino talked about him too, but like Penn State players like Yitor Grossmatos, they they love him. They're excited for him. They're very happy about him. So, I mean, I, I'm stoked for this. I, I like Sean Spencer. I like what he could bring to the table. And I, I think that scheme-wise, we're going to see more Patrick Tony than Sean Spencer, but I wouldn't be surprised if we start adding in some twists and stunts and just seeing, you know, just, just letting this coach get crazy because, again, he is Coach Chaos, and I fully expect him – I mean, I, that that's what I love. <laughs> he's, he's Coach Chaos. Patrick Tony's a mad scientist defensively. So it's going to be really cool. And I'm very excited to see how they're going to mesh and how they're kind of just going to mash their styles together. Um, again, I don't think either of them will be here for more than two or three years. I think that they'll move on. Maybe one of them becomes full DC and we get to, and we get him to stay for another couple of years before becoming a head coach. But I'm, I'm just going to let the good times roll and have some fun with it. You know, Coach Chaos is going to bring some juice to this pass rush. And overall, talent-wise, again, adding in more recruits. Jay Bateman is the next one, the inside linebackers coach at Florida. Uh, I realize that there are some people that are like, oh, like, why, why is there different, you know, inside, outside linebacker? Um, inside linebackers, the off-ball linebackers, your middle linebackers, as opposed to the edge rushers. Uh, so there's that. Jay Bateman was, this past season, the defensive coordinator at North Carolina. And um, I, I get it. His hiring was met with a little bit of scrutiny, I'll say, or a little bit of criticism because the North Carolina defense was 
um, what's the word? What's well, god awful, right? That's what it was. Um, they, they get it. I, I, I suck. They, they, I suck. I get it. They suck. I suck too. Don't worry. Uh, I, I get it. They suck this past year. That doesn't really mean much to me, uh, if we're being honest, because I mean, it's not his job to be the defensive coordinator at the University of Florida. He's not calling the plays. He's not going to have um, a, a huge hand in scheme and game planning. He'll be involved, but he's not going to have a huge plan and huge hand in how things are dealt. So it doesn't mean much to me. And also, like, you got to consider when guys get up to DC and then they fail at that, and then it's like, oh well, you know, maybe they're not meant to be. And, and it's weird because people are like, oh, he's not a good coach. If you make it to DC and then you fail, you're not a good coach. He got the DC for a reason. DC isn't a defensive coordinator. Um, he got the defensive coordinator for a reason. He was still a good coach before that. Now you're taking away all that added responsibility. And it's like, hey, these are your players. Recruit, develop. Those are your primary responsibilities. So Jay Bateman being told to do that, I, I'm not worried about it. I think that he'll be able to you know, excel with all that added responsibility taken off his shoulders and all that extra weight taken off his shoulders. So with Jay Bateman, like I, I'm excited for it. Uh, you know, he's gotten a few linebackers to the NFL. He's also been a safeties coach and a D line coach. He's very well versed with this defense and that's going to be, I mean, interesting, exciting, whatever it may be. I'm actually more excited to know just how things are going to work out. Cause you know, I've spoken so many times about Patrick Tony's defensive scheme a lot of guys are going to be having a lot of positions and a lot of roles. So we'll, uh, let's see who, Dewan Black, we'll talk about, because he's one of the most versatile players on the team. And we've always thought of him as a linebacker safety hybrid. Will he work with Patrick Tony in the safeties? Will he work with Jay Bateman in the linebackers? Will Jay Bateman take some safety sometimes since he's got safety experience? What will happen there? Um, I, I, I don't know. I'm excited to see it though. Um, but yeah, the things that got Jay Bateman promoted were recruiting, talent development. He gets to focus on just those. He doesn't have to stay up all day looking for game plans and schemes and what to do. That's not his responsibility anymore. So I, I'm excited for it. I know that a lot of people will scrutinize it. Honestly, what I um, would judge him for more was with the Army Wake Forest scandal of like uh, someone from Wake Forest was giving away like game plans and he accepted it. And that's, that's what I would uh, worry more about than his failure as a defensive coordinator. I, I mean, Look, it, like we have no idea how insane it is to be a defensive coordinator. I love defense, and I would not want to be a defensive coordinator. It, it just seems ridiculous to have to manage. The final final coach we're going to talk about is Chris Couch. Uh, it feels like we've been waiting for this news forever. Who will be running this special teams unit for the Florida Gators? Now we know that Billy Napier has said that the special teams will be run, directed, whatever you want to call it, will be led by an off field assistant. Chris Couch is that guy. We now know that. He was at Tulane for five years with Willie Fritz. He was with Willie Fritz before Tulane, too. So, I mean, yeah, he, he's a Willie Fritz coaching tree kind of guy, which is dope. I like Willie Fritz. Uh, so, before spending this past season at Louisiana under Billy Napier as a special teams coordinator and director of quality control and analytics, he'll be joining Florida as a lead special teams analyst. And I like it. I, I think this is a long-term high potential hire because there are going to be schools where after a year or two, they're going to want to bring him on as a special teams coordinator. Well, guess what? Billy Napier gets to go, you know what? 
we'll make you our special teams coordinator. We'll promote you. So, so you get him to maybe stay a little bit longer before he moves on, if he ever does. I mean, half the time, these special teams coordinators just confuse the hell out of me with how long they stay around. But hey, and Joe Judge was a special teams coordinator, and he, he became the head coach of the New York Giants. So anything could happen. But Chris Couch will likely be a Florida Gator for at least a few years. I know I've spoken about uh, Spencer and Tony like not being here too, super long. I think Chris Couch will be. He's still a very young coach, getting more experience coaching here. I mean, and also when you look at Florida, look at the athletes that Florida brings in. I mean, you you can get freaks. Like I I I love Xavier Henderson. He shouldn't have been returning punts and kicks. It should have been someone more um, shifty, I guess would be the word. And I think that we'll see a lot of that happening. Maybe it's Marcus Burke, just a little more speed to it. I don't know, but I, I'm excited for all of these hires, and I can't wait to see what happens with this coaching staff and with this roster as we get further into the season. This is it, the putt to win the tournament. If you sink it, the championship is yours. But on your backswing, your hat falls right over your eyes. Is this how you're running your business? Poor visibility because you're still relying on spreadsheets and outdated finance software. To see the full picture, you need to upgrade to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system to power your growth. With NetSuite, you can automate your processes and close your books out in no time while staying well ahead of your competition. Over 28,000 businesses already use NetSuite. And for the new year, NetSuite has a new financing program for those ready to upgrade at netsuite.com slash locked. Head to netsuite.com slash locked for this special one-of-a-kind financing offer on the number one financial system for growing businesses. That is netsuite.com slash locked. Now, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm a little upset about talking about this one. Uh, the Florida Gators versus Mississippi State Bulldogs. And obviously, I'm not upset about it in, in terms of the result of the game because it was a win. But what we learned very shortly before the game, which was Colin Castleton was out. Uh, that sucks because Colin Castleton... I I'm, I'm, I was going to say, like, oh, I, I think, no, Colin Castleton is the best basketball player on this team right now. Uh, and at any point, Colin Castleton injured his shoulder in practice on Tuesday. The team, you know, um, team kept it hush hush until right before game time on Wednesday, which, I mean, I, I get that. I, I understand that. Um, I'm, I'm assuming that there were two reasons behind it, that the first reason was to just see if he can go before the game, you know, like maybe he's banged up. Maybe he can roll before the game. And two, because you don't want your opponent knowing Colin Castleton won't be playing and they will be game planning for how to get around him, how to beat him, how to do this. And so if they think he's playing and then the last second they find out he's not playing, I, I, I think that's a smart strategy to be like, Hey, you know, hand, keep your cards close to the chest. You know, um, we've been told that the injury to Colin Kesselson's shoulder is significant, but we don't really know what that means or how long he'll be out. Maybe it's one of those injuries where, hey, you know, give him two weeks off and he'll be able to play through it. He'll be banged up for a bit, but he'll be able to play through it. Or maybe it's like, hey, he's going to be out for over a month and we don't even know if he's going to come back at all. So we don't really know much at the time of recording this, um, which is a little earlier in the day than usual because I get stuff, you know? Um, so Colin Castleton, we know that the injury is significant. That's about all we know. And I will say this, not regarding Colin Castleton, but kind of regarding Colin Castleton, I will give credit where credit is due. And so this past game, was one of the most impressive Mike White coach performances we've seen in a very long time. And I mean, like I said, I'll give him credit, you know, down your best player, 
against 12 and four Mississippi State Bulldogs, which I get it. They hadn't played a ton of great teams. Don't care. Down, you, you know, you're down your best player. You automatically lose a ton of your talent there. And I mean, the game just even at halftime, the Gators were down 41 35 at halftime. And then in the second half, the Gators outscored the Bulldogs, the Bulldogs 45 to 31. So flipping a couple numbers around there. And the Gators, you know, they came back to win the game by eight. Obviously, that's how math works down six, score 14 more than the other team. You win by eight. Um, yay, math. But, uh, you know, I mean, that that's big. And Anthony Deruji who I, I remember saying early in the year, I was like, I want to see him be more aggressive offensively. I want to see him shoot more threes. I want to see him um, attack the paint more often. I want to see him be more aggressive, do more things, get more involved. Man, he did it. <laughs> that's, that's what I can say. He did it with Colin Custon out. Someone needed to step up for this team, whether it's offense and defense. I mean, okay, before I even get into the rest of what Anthony DeRouge did, um, no matter who you have on this team, if Colin Castleton is out, you are not replicating his blocks. You you won't you will not replicate the impact that he provides defensively for these Gators. That's just not something you can do. I mean, he's what the uh, the, the second best shot blocker in the SEC right now. That it's like he he he's the best guy you got out there. He's one of the best in college basketball at blocking shots. You're not going to replace that, and not just blocking shots. When he doesn't block shots, he often affects the shots and causes misses, so you're not going to replace that. Offensively, though, I think it's a lot easier to replace him. I, I, I do. I think when he's off the court, you know, not that the team's better with him off the court because you lose a lot of your post presence, but when he's off the court, you can at least say, you know what, we can go more more, more five out, more four out, one in, whatever it may be. You, you can do a bit more offensively. But Anthony DeRuji with Colin Kessler out had 22 points on six of eight shooting, which is – insanely efficient two for three from three and eight for nine from the free throw line he had three rebounds which wasn't big a block and five steals which is great especially for a game that was close a team that we were losing to and things like that where anthony deruji stepped up in a massive way so nothing but respect for him there and i mean another player to highlight kawasi reeves man oh my i remember talking about kawasi reeves before the season when I was like, this is the one high school commit that we've got right now. Um, every time I watch Kawasi Reeves play, I, I feel like I'm watching a future NBA starter out there. You know, he, he wasn't used early on at all. And then he started working his way in and then just like straight to the starting lineup it was a very quick rise there. And like I said, every time I watch him, I feel like I'm watching a future NBA starter. He's got the size, he's got the length, he's got the shot. He's, he plays defense. He's cool at the free throw line and i mean 14 points on four for seven shooting three for six from three uh three for four from the free throw line two rebounds and a block like like, like he's out there playing his uh, you know what off i was gonna yeah i was gonna just be like hey i could say it. no he's he's playing his you know what off he, he's out there grinding and he's doing his job and he's stepping up bigger than we expected and i mean better than we could have hoped for really so i mean kawasi reeves he's gonna be a star i i think that we'll get at least another year out of him, you know, maybe get a full year of him as a starter, but that kid's going to be good. <laughs> like, like he's going to be a good ball player professionally, I think. I mean, you could really tell the Florida Gators were missing Colin Castleton, especially rebounding-wise. They got out-rebounded 31-23, to 23, and they gave up 13 second-chance points 
But what's really, um, I was going to say upsetting about it, but like not upsetting because I'm not super shocked by it, but 34 points in the paint, kind of a lot to give up. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. Uh, Jason Jatobo stepped in as a starter with Colin Kessler out, but with foul trouble throughout the lineup and throughout the game. And I mean, the Gators really been small ball for much of the game with only one big on the court, which is why it wasn't super surprising that they got out rebounded the way they did and that. Uh, Mississippi State got the score in the paint the way that they did. So, I mean, it's not surprising. Um, but when you look at it, it's like, oh, well, the inside-out lineup, the inside-out game that the Gators had with this lineup, it, it helped. <laughs> you know, it, It's whether you get into the free-throw line, whether you're shooting threes, whatever it may be, um, th- they, they got to do it with this smaller lineup, especially when you have four smalls and then Anthony DeRuji as your big. It's like, well, Anthony DeRuji could shoot, so you can go five out. You can get into the paint. You can do whatever you got to do. And you kind of caused a little bit of havoc there. That's what they did. So Mike White, I mean, you know, he he, he did a great job of coaching this game. I, I will give him that credit where it is due. So, yeah, kudos to you, Mike White. I, I will end by this segment by replying to a YouTube comment that I saw where it's basically like, uh, like, like, you can't fault Mike White for his players missing open threes. Here's the thing. One, yes, I can. Uh, and I'll, I'll get to that in a second. One, yes, I can. Two, um, I don't fault him for that. I fault him for his players taking contested threes, missing said contested threes, and continuing to shoot those contested threes. But let's visit the missing open threes part. Uh, Mike White is responsible for building the lineup and building the roster and you know building the game plans, picking who's going to be in the starting lineup, picking who's going to play rotationally. So if players are missing open threes, then Mike White needs to either play them less or tell them to stop shooting threes like that. You know, cut more. I don't care if you're open. If you can't hit a three, then don't shoot the three. Things like that where it's like, look, you can't really fault him in the moment for those things happening, but strategy-wise, you can fault him. You know, who's on the team, you can fault him. Who's on the court, you can fault him. You can fault him for everything but that moment when they shoot that three. So yeah, you, you can fault them. Um, I, I will say that. So that doesn't make sense. Um, it, it, you, I mean, listeners, we all fault, and like myself included, we all faulted Dan Mullen for Emory Jones missing throws. It's the same damn thing as a player missing an open three. You can fault them for being on the court. You don't have to fault the coach for that player specifically missing that three, that whatever, that, that pass. You don't got to fault them specifically for that, but you can fault them for putting the team in that position by having that player on the field or on the court. So, I mean, make sense. Make, make yourself make sense. How about that one? Anybody else make money this weekend? I know I did. Like I said, I've been on a heater. I'm riding the hot hand that is myself. <laughs> so bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. Obviously, Florida, you screwed me quite a bit. You Actually, you did screw me in this one too. So, hmm. Hmm. Uh, I, I bet the under and the, you know, the under obviously didn't hit, but online incurs award shows, TV shows, and reality TV with real time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. It's the best way to place your bets and it's hundred percent free to sign up. So why not head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit bet online, your online sports for experts. Make sure you use promo code locked on this L O C K E D no space. O N. To wrap up today's show, we're going to take a look at some Florida Gators that could rise in the NFL in the 2022 NFL season. Uh, obviously, only guys that are already there. Three of them were rookies. One's a second-year player because 
obviously I'm not going to be like, yeah, Joe Hayden could rise in the NFL. Um, no, that's not going to happen. He could probably get better than he was, than he was this past year. But if you're not hitting your peak, then who cares? Um, I will also say I'm ending with this segment because I want to start ending Fridays with a more fun segment. I've even thought about running like, uh, like, like a sport track or not sport track, uh, sporkle quiz uh about the gators to end the show because you know why not maybe have some fun with it but four players that got listed first Kyle Pitts obviously duh like first rookie tight end since Jeremy Shockey to to uh crack a thousand receiving yards in a season the Falcons will hopefully add offensive line talent to let the offense open up a little bit and maybe you know whether it's challenging vertically just working uh more complex concepts and timing routes or whatever it may be into the offense giving Matt Ryan some time to be able to actually hit his receivers. That helps Kyle Pitts. Uh, adding receiver talent, I think that the Falcons are going to go receiver multiple times in the draft and once in free agency uh, with Calvin Ridley likely leaving the team. So with that, that will allow Kyle Pitts to be less keyed in on by defenses, which happened a lot to him. Look at the last Saints game, happened a lot to him. So Kyle Pitts, whether or not he puts up more stats, because you know obviously if there's better receivers, they're going to get targets, so Kyle Pitts might not be targeted as much, might put up less stats, whatever it may be. But Kyle Pitts, I, I think that uh, overall, he's going to have a better year than his rookie year. Next, Kadarius Toney. Um, and I say this because, well, simply put, um, it's hard to have a worse year than Kadarius Toney had. Uh, Kadarius Toney was, was good when he was available to play and was good when he was involved in the game plan, but he was very much the type that needed to be involved in the game plan. Like, like he needed to be schemed into the game plan, which isn't surprising. Um, he's an offensive weapon. A lot of people were calling him a gadget before the draft. I don't, I don't like the term gadget because I feel like that's very uh, a negative connotation there. Um, but Kadarius Tony, he's someone who's marred by, you know, COVID, uh, injury issues, whatever they may be. And I, I think that, you know, coaching itself also sucked and didn't allow him to really open up. But the Giants are in the midst of their general manager hiring process. And, you know, they'll worry about um, they'll worry about their head coach kind of after that. Um, so there's that where, I mean, sure, like the rumor is that they're interested in Bill's offensive coordinator, Brian Dable, as their head coach. And that really excites me in terms of, Kadarius Tony getting involved. Obviously, I've I've said it before. I'm a Giants fan, so Brian Dable, I'd have no problems with. But I will say that in terms of getting Kadarius Tony involved in the offense, I think that, that would be huge if Brian Dable were the guy because you can look at the Bills and you can say they already have their uh, they already have their offensive weapon type that they use, which is Isaiah McKenzie, who he is a gadget. Yeah, and if I'm not, I thinking back on it. I think when I did my pre-draft uh, report of Kadarius Tony, I put my ceiling as like Randall Cobb plus because Randall Cobb's a thousand-yard receiver. You know, he he was used as a running back, receiver, all over the place. Uh, so it was like Randall Cobb plus because I think he's more he's shiftier than Randall Cobb. But I think the floor might have actually been Isaiah McKenzie uh, that I put for Kadarius Tony, which is fine. It's not worth the first round pick, but it's a fine NFL career to carve out as a guy who's going to just get screens, jet sweeps, whatever it may be. Uh, Brian Dable would able would be able to use Kadarius Tony in that kind of role, and that would be pretty dope, not going to lie. Uh, so there's that where Brian Dable, I mean, I, again, Kadarius Tony a lot depends on his own personal development, his health, who the head coach or offensive coordinator is going to be, and if they're going to force him to get involved. You know, Brian Flores is another rumor name where it's like, 
Well, maybe he has an OC again that goes RPO 900% of the time. Uh, next up is Van Jefferson, who I say this all the time. Hell, hell, I said it yesterday. You know, I, I said, I think he's an elite wide receiver three on an offense. I think he can be a good wide receiver two on an offense. You know, he's grown into a much better route runner since leaving college, which he was, I mean, he, he, he was already pretty good at. Um, he's mainly struggled with drops this year. Like there was, I think I mentioned it yesterday too. There was the 49ers game, uh, Rams 49ers on Monday night football, um, where, you know, he had, I think it was two or three drops. At least one of them was in the end zone, stuff like that, where it's like, if you can improve on that, not only will you see more targets because your quarterback will trust you more, but also just catching those passes will make you more productive. So if he can rein in those drops a bit, we could see him add one to 200 yards, uh, onto his uh, on, on his stat line without really seeing more targets necessarily, maybe some more targets, but not a significant number of targets with guys like Cooper Cup and Robert Wood still there and Odell Beckham Jr. still there and Tyler Higgins. There's a lot of mouths to feed in Los Angeles, but Van Jefferson could maximize his uh, his opportunities if he could actually reel in the ball more, more uh, consistently and get open a little bit more consistently because, again, if you're wide receiver three or wide receiver four, guess what? You're probably going against corner three or corner four. Uh, a lot of teams, pretty bad corner three, corner four. So Van Jefferson could kind of cook a little bit again. The, the condensed offenses stuff. It's a little, maybe I'll do that this offseason. Maybe maybe I'll go like in depth on schemes of like NFL teams and how it will pertain to uh, Gators that are in the NFL. That might be a little fun. Uh, and the final player to talk about Stone Forsyth. Um, you know, he's someone who. In, in the pre-drafts process, we were told, you know, he's going to be a mid-round pick. He was told he's going to be a mid-round pick. I remember him saying that at his pro day. He's like, yeah, I, I met with a lot of NFL coaches. Um, they, they've told me where they value me. And it's, it, it's you know, it, it, it's late day two, early day three. And then he ended up going late day three, uh, which is weird to me. I, I think a lot of it had to do with his flexibility might be a little bit of an issue. But... Uh, it, it ain't hard to get better than nothing. You know, like, like Kadarius Tony, I was like, it's hard to get worse. It's hard to get worse than doing nothing. Um, Stone Forsyth didn't play much this season. I think he played six snaps in pass protection, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Dwayne Brown had a solid season on the year. He did. Left tackle for the Seal- for the Seahawks, had a solid season. Brandon Shell, right tackle, did, did, did not have a solid season. Uh, Jay Curran, <sighs> did not have a solid season for the Seahawks. So it's like, well, Dwayne Brown's good, but guess what? You have one good tackle, two tackle starting, two uh, starting tackle spots, and your depth tackle, not great either. So I could easily, and I mean this one, like with the least bias possible, easily see Stone Forsyth getting involved in this offense as a, you know, even if he's just the, the second uh, or the first rotational tackle, but I don't need him to start on either side. But if he's going to be a rotational tackle that comes in when, you know, when someone needs a breather, um, when there's an injury, when you want to go six offensive linemen, whatever it may be, Stone Forsyth could be that guy to carve out a role for himself and eventually could be seen as one of the bigger steals of the 2021 NFL draft, which again, none of it would surprise me. Thanks for making Lockdown Gators your first listen of the day. Every day we are available daily and free wherever you listen to the podcast. We'll be back Monday. Ah, we'll be back Monday to talk more about our Florida Gators. Now make your second listen locked on SEC, hosted by Chris Gordy of Sports 790 for all of the latest news on the SEC and our rivals and how Florida will soon be taking over the conference. 
For Lockdown Gators, I'm Brandon Olson. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at WNS underscore Brandon. I'm also the founder of Whole9Sports.com. We find all of my written work now. See you all Monday. Nailed it.